And um, let's just pray for Chris and ourselves. Jesus, we thank you for the gifts that you've given Chris. We thank you that you have anointed him with them. We pray that you would speak through him now. We thank you for the work that he's done. And we pray that you take his offering and transform it. Jesus, give our hearts softness to receive what you want to say to us today. And give us the faith to walk in that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Louise. Morning, everyone. That was nice and loud. I like that. So, uh, we're going to start this morning with a short clip from one of the greatest films ever made, and that's The Empire Strikes Back. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad to hear that reaction. That's really great. So, however, I know there's at least one of you who has never actually seen a Star Wars film, so what I'll do is give us a bit of background to the scene before it starts. So, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, Luke Skywalker is trapped in a swamp with his new master, a small green alien named Yoda. Knowing his friends are in trouble, Luke's eager to leave and rescue them. Yoda's been teaching Luke to use the Force, a mysterious power that, among other things, should allow him to lift his ship, the X-Wing, free from the swamp using only his mind. With great effort, Luke tries to use the force, his Force powers to lift the X-Wing, but ultimately fails. And that's where our scene picks up. Okay, so I'm sure you all want to know why I brought up a famous scene from a Star Wars film. Well, we'll come back to that in a minute. So, in the meantime, we're continuing our series in Mark's Gospel, titled Living with the King. So each week we're asking around a question around living as a follower of Jesus, the King. The question I want to address today is, what does Jesus really expect of us? In other words, Jesus is king and wants us to follow him. That's fantastic, but what does that actually mean practically? In light of Jesus' kingship, what are we, his servants, supposed to do? To help answer that question, we'll look at Mark chapter 11, verses 1 through 26. I'd recommend following along in a Bible, and if you're using one of the church Bibles, it starts on page 1015. So there's quite a lot to this passage, but it's all relevant to what I want to explore. So what I'll do is summarize parts of it and then read aloud the bits that need particular emphasis. So in verses 1 through 11, we come to the final week of Jesus' life. He's entering Jerusalem knowing that he's going to be crucified. As he rides in on a colt, the crowd shouts, Hosanna, which Louise mentioned means, save us. The people have seen enough of Jesus in action to know that he's the rightful king of Israel, prophesied to save his people. So then I'll read from verse 12. The next day, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves, because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. Okay, so what's that passage about? At first glance, we might think that Jesus just really wanted some figs. 
Uh, he forgot it was the wrong time of year and took his anger out on the tree. But actually, like most of the words, Jesus' words in the Gospel accounts, there's a lot more to this than meets the eye. And to help us understand what's going on, we need to read the next few verses. So from 15. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves, and he would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations? But you have made it a den of robbers. Wow, so Jesus comes back to Jerusalem, enters the temple courts, and frankly, loses it. Now, before we look at what this has to do with fruitless fig trees, we need to unpack a bit what's going on here. It's worth noting that Jesus wasn't mad just because people were selling goods in the temple courts. This was actually a commonly accepted practice. But the money changers had a reputation for charging overinflated exchange rates to foreigners who needed the local tenure for the temple tax and animals intended for sacrifice. Meanwhile, the merchants were known to charge exorbitant prices for those same animals. And all of this was set up in the temple's Gentile court, making it impossible for non-Jews to worship there. Jesus got mad because his father's house had become a place of extortion and a barrier to worship. Okay, so turning tables and cursing fig trees. What's the connection? Well, essentially, they're the same thing. Jesus was using the fig tree as a metaphor for the temple. A fig tree being in leaf usually means it will be fruitful. Like the tree, the temple was grand on the outside. It had an outward appearance of fruitfulness. Visitors, Roman occupiers, and other outsiders would look at this grand structure and go, wow, these people must really love their God. There must be a lot going on in there. A grand temple should mean grand works. Jesus wanted to enter the building and find fruitful activity, people fervently serving the kingdom of God. But in reality, when Jesus goes in, all he sees are people working to their own selfish gain. Much like the fig tree is bare of fruit, the temple courts are spiritually barren. So then, in verses 18 and 19, Jesus and the disciples leave the city for the day, and the corrupt Jewish leaders plot to kill Jesus, which is a hint of the crucifixion to come. Now let's pick up from verse 20. In the morning, as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. Truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go, throw yourself into the sea, and does not doubt in their heart, but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. Okay, so again, at first glance, it might not be clear what's going on here. Peter notes that this fig tree is withered. But Jesus doesn't seem to acknowledge the statement and instead starts talking about mountains and prayer. So what's Jesus doing here? When he says, have faith in God, he's not actually ignoring Peter. His point is that we should trust in God to remove whatever hinders us from bearing fruit 
for the kingdom. Mountains were a common metaphor in Jewish literature for doing what was seemingly impossible. So in effect, in response to Peter noting the withered fig tree, Jesus says, right, and just like I removed the useless tree, so you should trust God to remove obstacles to his kingdom. But we all know from experience that God doesn't just remove all barriers to kingdom growth when we ask him. That person you've prayed for over and over still hasn't accepted Jesus' kingship. That persistent sin you've been agonizing over is still stunting your spiritual growth. And that's because there is a crucial condition to mountain moving. And if you started drifting off, this is the time to pay attention. Jesus says, if you do not doubt in your heart, it will happen. If you truly believe it, it will come to pass. That is the kind of faith that moves mountains. It's not just about wishing and hoping. It's about having such firm belief in the Lord's power that you are in no doubt that the seemingly impossible is, in fact, possible with God. Okay, so back to Star Wars. To Luke Skywalker, moving the X-Wing seemed as impossible as moving a mountain. But Master Yoda showed him that it could be done. After the X-Wing is safely out of the swamp, Luke says, I don't believe it. And Yoda replies, that is why you fail. Luke failed because he didn't believe in the power of the force. I'm just going to keep going through that beeping, never mind. (laughs) That was not planned. Now, in real life, we don't have Jedi powers. But as Christians, we have something far better and that's the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. God's word shows that through us, the Holy Spirit can move mountains. The sick can be healed, prisoners can be set free, enemies can be saved, sorry, enemies can be stopped, and sinners can be saved. So what does Jesus really expect of us? Prayer that leads to abundant fruit. Prayer that sets the Holy Spirit moving such huge mountains between us and his kingdom. Illness, imprisonment, war, even sin and death itself. Jesus expects that when we pray, incredible things will happen. Imagine the fig tree is Portsmouth Church. He wants to see it bursting with spiritual fruit through prayer. But does that mean that When we pray for something and it doesn't happen, it's always our fault for not having enough faith? No. The New Testament tells us that for mountains to move, faith is just the first of several conditions. The second is this. Ask with the right motives. The book of James says of prayer, when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives. So we could ask for something seemingly godly, like, say, a friend coming to the Alpha course. But let's say our reason for wanting that friend to come is just for the bragging rights at church. So, my friend Phyllis came to Alpha. How many of your friends are coming this term? God is going to see right through that, and he's not going to play ball. Because for mountains to move, our motives must be pure. The third condition is this. First John tells us that our prayers must be according to God's will. 
Now, this is a tricky one. God has infinitely more wisdom than all of us combined, so it can be hard to know God's will, with God's plans, with any confidence. We might be so bold as to pray for physical healing. Surely it would be God's will that, say, Fred gets cured of his back problem, right? Well, maybe. Maybe the person that would be moved to faith by Fred's healing wasn't in church that day. Maybe God wants Fred to pick up some more pain medication so he can evangelize to his pharmacist. Maybe, like Job, God wants to use Fred's healing to teach him something more important than physical pain. There are lots of possible reasons why God's will isn't to heal Fred on that particular day that you prayed for him. But, just because something seemingly good might not be God's will, should we avoid praying for it altogether? Again, no. Because it's through that same prayer that we can start to understand God's will. Romans 12 talks about allowing ourselves to be transformed by the Holy Spirit so we can test and affirm the will of God. So if we allow the Spirit to move in us, we'll be able to test out God's will by praying for him to act, and only then will we gain the wisdom to pray in step with him. Okay, so back to our main point. Jesus expects our prayers to produce fruit for his kingdom. We should pray for amazing things to happen, for seemingly impossible barriers to move. And if we have faith, ask with the right motives, and ask according to God's will, God will act. Mountains will move. And all of this is self-perpetuating. The more we pray, the more faith we'll have, the more our motives will be pure, and the more we'll understand God's will, which will in turn make our prayers more fruitful. So all of that is fantastic, but hold on because there are one or two more verses left of this passage. So if we look at verse 25, and when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. Then most Bibles have this little note about a missing verse 26. So some ancient copies of Mark's gospel include this extra verse. It might have been added by a later editor, we don't really know. And it's along the lines of Matthew 6.15, which itself reads, If you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Okay, so... Jesus has added this one final condition for mountain-moving, kingdom-bringing prayer. Forgive others. Praying for people while holding a grudge is like a fig tree sprouting leaves but bearing no fruit. You might have an outward appearance of fruitfulness by putting your hands together and bowing your head, but nothing's going to come of that prayer. Forgiving people is hard. Believe me, I know. A few years ago, I had a really big grievance with some now ex-work colleagues, and that took me a long time to pray through. But it has to be done. If you want the Spirit to produce fruit through your prayer life, you've got to forgive those who have wronged you. Because if you don't forgive others, why should God forgive you? And if you're not right with God, how do you expect your prayer to produce fruit, to move mountains? Okay, so 
that got pretty heavy, and there's a lot for us to take in, uh, take in here. But let's not shy away from this. King Jesus expects a lot from us. When we pray, he expects mountains to move. By turning tables and cursing the fig tree, Jesus clearly showed that he expects more than an appearance of fruitful prayer. He wants the real deal. And it sounds daunting, but let's think of this as an opportunity. How amazing it will be when mountains move because of our prayer. God can accomplish seemingly impossible fruit through us. All we have to do is have faith that God will act, pray with unselfish motives, pray until we know God's will, then ask according to it, and forgive people who have wronged us. Do these things and barriers will fall. Spiritual fruit will grow beyond what we can even imagine. So before I close in prayer, a quick note to new Christians and those who don't yet profess faith in Jesus. You might be sat there thinking, I don't even know how to start praying, let alone how to pray for mountains to move. Well, firstly, I'd recommend making use of the Lord's Prayer, which is in Matthew 6. That's the template Jesus taught us for praying. Uh, And secondly, feel free to speak to one of our leaders or to a member of the prayer team at the end of the service. As for the rest of us, be bold. Let's dare to pray for impossible things. Pray with faith, good motives, in line with God's will, having forgiven others, and mountains will move. Let's pray. Father God, thank you that you sent your son Jesus as an example for us. Thank you that faithful prayer produces spiritual fruit. Thank you that through your Holy Spirit, mountains will move. Give us boldness to pray for impossible things for the glory of your kingdom, for healing, for victory over evil, for sinners saved, so that your kingdom may be known on this earth now and forever. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.